Welcome to On Air Policy, the official podcast of Clean Air Action Fund, where we explore current and proposed environmental policies that deliberately and rapidly phase out fossil fuels, advance the green economy, support federal climate action, and protect democracy. Today, we're going to talk about PA's upcoming election on November 8th. Who are the candidates and what are the environmental implications? As background, Clean Air Action Fund fights climate change and its impacts on Pennsylvania. The fund uses tools like lobbying and electoral work to advocate for candidates and policies that address the climate crisis. We explore current and proposed environmental policies that eliminate fossil fuels, advance the green economy, support federal climate action, and protect democracy. To learn more about Clean Air Action Fund, visit cleanairactionfund.org. Today I have with me Robert Ruth and Stephen Valentine to delve into the November 8th election, which candidates the fund endorses, environmental issues that will be affected by the upcoming election, and resources for PA voters. Hi, Robert and Stephen. Hey, Katie. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having us. Of course. Lovely to have you here today. There's a lot at stake for Pennsylvania in the upcoming November 8th election. Before we get into the PA House and Senate races, I want to address the gubernatorial and the U.S. Senate seats that are up for election. Has the fund endorsed candidates for these positions? Yes, the fund has endorsed candidates in both races. For the race for governor, we've endorsed Josh Shapiro. And for the U.S. Senate, we've endorsed John Fetterman. So let's talk about Josh Shapiro. What environmental policies can PA expect to see enacted or supported by Josh Shapiro if he is elected governor? A great question, Katie. And before delving into what we can expect from a Shapiro administration, just want to say every election represents a new opportunity for Pennsylvanians to determine collectively the direction of our Commonwealth, you know, in, in the years ahead and real specifically over the next two year legislative session. A number of environmental advocacy groups across Pennsylvania have come together to spell out the most pressing climate, energy, and environmental issues facing our state, and also to offer policy solutions to create a more just and equitable Pennsylvania. And so that information has been shared widely with campaigns across Pennsylvania this election cycle. And, you know, you can find a whole range of gubernatorial candidate Shapiro's policy priorities on his website, but we know that he has committed to boosting Pennsylvania's target for electricity generation from renewable sources. He wants to make sure that 30% of Pennsylvania's electricity comes from renewable sources by 2030. As we sit here today, the most recent estimate is that Pennsylvania generates about 4% of its power from renewable energy. His campaign is also committed to reaching net zero emissions by 2050. And as attorney general, his office was instrumental in providing a statewide investigating grand jury report in 2020 that offered a host of recommendations to try and reduce the hazards that arise from fracking from unconventional oil and gas operations. And we can get into those recommendations a bit later, but They were all intended, given that the grand jury was made up of regular residents of the Commonwealth, they were intended to provide a baseline level of safety 
and security and public health protections, safeguards from unconventional oil and gas operations. And so his office's work in making sure that that grand jury performed its investigative duties and issued that report really speaks to the significance with which he views keeping Pennsylvanians safe from oil and gas operations here. And I know that he is committed to investing in clean transportation, to promoting community and grid-scale solar projects, and there will be billions of dollars worth of federal investments that will be available to the next administration uh, that we need to make sure are used wisely and to really achieve maximum greenhouse gas reductions and further our decarbonization goals. So that stands in stark contrast to his opponent, for sure, but just a sampling of what we can expect from a Shapiro administration and why the Clean Air Action Fund was so excited to lend our endorsement to him and to keep Pennsylvania communities safer in the years ahead. It's clear that Josh Shapiro has become an environmental champion, especially over the past couple of years. And I just wanted to note that these oil and gas issues are so important to Pennsylvania because we're the second largest producer of natural gas. And there are millions of people who live within a quarter mile of oil and gas facilities. So these protections will go very far. What environmental policies can PA expect to see enacted or supported by Josh Shapiro? He has a long record from his time as attorney general of holding corporate polluters accountable. And in particular, his office's role in convening and supporting the investigative powers in the statewide investigating grand jury that looked at the unconventional oil and gas industry and its significant harms to local environments, to public health, to children, to livestock. His office's role in making that report public and known to the people of Pennsylvania really speaks to the commitment that he has to safeguarding our public health and our environment. You know, Pennsylvanians face numerous threats to our fundamental rights and public natural resources. And Josh Shapiro is someone who we know, again, based on his time as attorney general, who will listen to everyone. A theme of his campaign has been bringing everyone to the table, and he will fight to protect Pennsylvania's environment and public health and the rights of our communities. He has investigated fracking and pipeline companies. He is the only candidate in this race who is committed to decarbonizing our economy equitably. He is the only candidate whose platform won't take Pennsylvania radically backwards in the fight against climate change. As governor in a Shapiro administration, I think we can expect that big polluters will be held accountable and that his administration will listen to folks on the ground and do what is necessary to protect the health and safety of all Pennsylvanians. So that was part of many reasons why Clean Air Action Fund was excited to support and endorse Josh Shapiro to become the 48th governor of Pennsylvania. You can check out the wide range of climate and energy policy priorities on Josh Shapiro's website, but I know that his campaign and his administration will seek to update Pennsylvania's renewable energy targets. Right now, as we sit here today, latest estimates are that Pennsylvania produces 4% of its electricity from clean renewable sources. Josh Shapiro wants to make that 30% of Pennsylvania's energy by 2030. His campaign has set a goal for Pennsylvania to reach net zero emissions by 2050. 
And he's got just a wide range of commitments to invest in clean transportation, to adopt measures to promote community and grid scale solar projects, to plug orphan wells and clean up abandoned mine lands. And there's going to be billions of dollars in federal investments flowing through states and municipalities and state agencies over the next several years, thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act. And the next administration will have a big role in whether those investments are made wisely and maximize decarbonization and promote our climate goals, or if we let other states take advantage of them. The other heart race I want us to talk about is the Pennsylvania Senate seat. I'm sure all of us want to see this seat flip blue. But what about John Fetterman's environmental platform appeals to Clean Air Action Fund? We're really excited to be able to endorse John Fetterman because first and foremost, he recognizes that climate change is an existential threat to Pennsylvania and to the entire planet. He supports a transition to a green economy in Pennsylvania, and he wants to make sure there are good paying jobs for Pennsylvanians in that new economy. I mean, John Fetterman has been fighting for green jobs since he started out as the mayor of Braddock 15 years ago or so. Back when, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Van Jones was Obama's clean job czar before he had to resign. But Fetterman has been in that fight since all the way back then. And he's still working for green jobs in Pennsylvania. And as the mayor of Braddock, I think he also has a particular sensitivity to environmental justice issues. Braddock's, uh, you know, got communities of color that have dealt with the problems that go along with industry getting up and leaving and leaving behind environmental degradation and problems for his community. Importantly, all of that is in stark contrast to his opponent, who seemed to believe in climate science when he was a TV doctor, but now that he's a United States Senate candidate, no longer believes that climate change is a threat and has abandoned his previous views. Are there specific policies that we could see with John Fetterman in the U.S. Senate? Are there climate action policies that you can see the Senate pass? The biggest bill that's going to pass when it comes to environmental policy on the federal level was the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the biggest bill we've had in terms of climate action in American history, and I suspect will be the biggest bill we have for some time. But John Fetterman, if he's elected, will be a senator for six years and potentially more once he has the advantage of incumbency and has the potential to get reelected. So he could be a senator for a really long time. And there's going to be a lot of environmental votes that come up over the course of those six plus years, especially because he has the potential to be the swing vote for a lot of important issues. With the Senate evenly split right now with 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans, John Fetterman's role as that potential 50th vote is going to be crucial, not just for environmental issues, but for important issues that we all care about across the board. And for our listeners, we did a deep dive podcast into the Inflation Reduction Act. So if you're interested in learning more about what Stephen was saying about the Inflation Reduction Act, you should check out that podcast. Yeah, that was really well said, Stephen. You know, one U.S. senator is in a body of 100. That's one half of one of the three branches of the federal government. So if this seat flips from red to blue, what that means for the party that controls not just the majority in the Senate, but the calendar in the Senate, what bills get brought up for a vote, which nominees to executive agencies like the EPA or FERC get brought up for a vote, judicial nominees who have significant influence in ruling on cases challenging environmental policies going forward. So 
It may not seem like John Fetterman's policy priorities, if he wins the seat, will dictate what happens in the U.S. government, but it can really tip things in a major way in lots of different tangential aspects of the U.S. government. Thank you, Robert. That was really well put. I would like to drill down now to the PA House and PA Senate. Who controls these chambers now and how close is either one to flipping? Has Cleaner Action Fund endorsed any state legislative candidates? In this legislative session in Harrisburg, which began in January of 2021, both the PA House and PA Senate have been controlled by Republicans, which has pretty much been the case for nearly 30 years. There are a lot of reasons for that, not least among them being gerrymandered maps. And this cycle, we have new state legislative districts that have been drawn. But right now, there are 29 Senate Republicans. There is an independent who caucuses with the Republicans. So I'll, I'll just throw them in there. 29 Senate Republicans, 21 Senate Democrats. And in the House, there are a few seats that are currently vacant. One member resigned in the spring to become a Philadelphia city council member. One representative, Tony DeLuca, unfortunately just passed away. But safe to say that the split is 113 House R's to 90 House D's. And with 203 seats in the Pennsylvania House, 102 gets you a majority. So the Democratic Party needs to flip at least 12 seats to gain a majority after November 8th, heading into the next two-year legislative session. Because there are new House maps, that seems to be a possibility, depending on turnout and you know many other factors. There seems to be less optimism about the prospect of flipping the Pennsylvania Senate this cycle, and that's in large part because every single House seat, all 203, are up on November 8th, and only half of the state Senate seats are up. It's a way to push the margins closer, narrow the gap from 29 to 21 that could maybe lead to better outcomes in 2024 or a future cycle. And in the Pennsylvania Senate, they serve four-year terms, unlike the U.S. Senate, which is six-year terms. So that's where things stand now. And Clean Air Action Fund has enthusiastically been supporting candidates who will help advance environmental priorities going forward into 2023 and 2024. This is a really exciting election cycle in Pennsylvania, as it is all over the country, because we have new maps for the state legislature. And for folks who don't know what that means or why that's happening, every 10 years after we do the census, states across the country have to redraw their political districts to account for population change. That happened 10 years ago, and we got maps that were stacked very heavily in favor of Republicans. And so we've had a consistently Republican state legislature in both the House and the Senate for the last 10 years. And now we have new maps that independent experts say are fairly balanced and, you know, each party has basically equal opportunity based on the representation that they should have. And so one thing that means when we look at different candidates is there are a lot of exciting new races. As the legislative districts have shifted, some candidates have decided to retire. Others have left for various reasons, maybe because the map isn't the same as it was before. So we have a lot of open seats and we have an opportunity to support this new generation of potential environmental champions who could come into office in Pennsylvania. So we're really excited to be a part of that and to have a chance to endorse some of those candidates. Stephen, can you tell us about some of the candidates that Clean Air Action Fund has endorsed? 
I'll just go through and, and mention a few. We've endorsed candidates primarily in southeastern Pennsylvania, although we do work in the entire state of Pennsylvania. We've been mostly focused, at least for now, on the races that are in the southeastern part of the state. I'll just, if you don't mind, Katie, just run through a quick list of a few candidates we're endorsing. That sounds great. I'd love to hear it. So first, I want to mention Senate District 6, where we're endorsing Anne-Marie Mitchell. This is one of those open seats that I was talking about. We have a Republican legislator who is resigning or retiring, and we have an opportunity to bring someone new in. And Senate District 6 is in Bucks County. It is a slightly Republican district, but we're hopeful that Anne-Marie Mitchell has a good shot. She doesn't have a history as an elected official, but she's running for office. And before she did that, she was a lawyer and a businesswoman who, among other things, actually worked for a wind turbine manufacturer. So we're excited for her to bring her alternative energy expertise potentially to the Pennsylvania Senate. She's got a really strong environmental platform. She's committed to environmental justice and clean energy and protecting parks and public spaces and a lot of the things that the Clean Air Action Fund really cares a lot about. Staying in the Senate, we also have Senate District 44, which is in mostly Chester County with a little bit of Berks County and Montgomery. That's where Katie Muth is running, and we've endorsed Katie Muth. She's actually an incumbent. She won for the first time in 2018. And it's a little easier to evaluate a candidate when they've actually got a track record and they've spent some time working as a legislator. And she's already proven to be a really effective legislator and a really strong advocate for the environment. She is uh, on the Environmental Resources and Energy Committee in the Pennsylvania Senate. She's already introduced different bills that will protect Pennsylvania's environment from water pollution caused by fracking. She's also introduced legislation to transition Pennsylvania to clean energy. And we'll talk more about the environmental scorecard later, but she got 100% on the environmental scorecard, which is what we use to basically score legislators on their environmental record. So we're really excited to support Katie Muth in Senate District 44. Let's move over to the Pennsylvania House. And there's a couple candidates that I want to mention there that to highlight. We've endorsed more widely than this, but we just want to talk about a few specific people. Like in House District 26, Paul Friel is running, and we're really excited to endorse him. This is another example of how the maps changing have really affected the landscape in Pennsylvania. He ran for this seat in 2020, and he lost. And now he's running against the same person in, in 2022 in a slightly different district. And so we're hopeful that he has a good chance this time around. The candidate he's running against got a 5% on the environmental scorecard in the last legislative session. That shows you that Paul Friel would be a big step in the right direction for Pennsylvanians. And he actually owned an environmental testing and engineering firm. So environmental issues are obviously close to his heart, and he has a lot of experience with them that he can bring to the table if he gets elected to the Pennsylvania House. And on top of that, he has just a really strong environmental platform. He is really prioritizing getting rid of tax breaks for fossil fuel companies. He's prioritizing climate change and just investing in a new renewable energy economy that will create jobs for Pennsylvanians. And then the last district I want to highlight is House District 29, where we are endorsing Tim Brennan. This is another one that's in southeastern Pennsylvania. It's in Bucks County. This is an open seat where the Republican has decided not to run for re-election, so we have a chance to flip this district. And it's a swing district, but we think that Tim Brennan has a good shot to win, and we think that he'll be a great state legislator if, if he's elected. He's currently a Doylestown council person, and he's already been fighting for environmental issues in Doylestown by working to convert a brownfield into a park. He has helped install electric vehicle charging infrastructure, and he's helped install bike-friendly infrastructure. 
And he's just committed to the issues that we care most about at the Clean Air Action Fund, including fighting climate change and also things like protecting the Delaware River Basin. And so we think he'd be an environmental champion in the Pennsylvania House, and we're excited to endorse him. Thanks, Stephen. That was a great crash course. Let's fast forward to January 2023, and these candidates that we're endorsing have won, and they're being sworn in. How can we ensure that they get strong support to enact environmental policies in Pennsylvania? I think the best way to hold candidates accountable once they are in office is to make sure that as constituents, as advocacy groups, you are in touch with their legislative offices. You know, I mentioned earlier that there was a widespread community of advocacy groups across Pennsylvania that had created a document called Shared Vision for Pennsylvania's Environment and Communities that laid out the most pressing issues that face our state and that offered policy solutions to address those issues. Like Stephen mentioned, we've got potentially a lot of turnover coming in 2023, a lot of new representatives in office. And it's important that you not just drop off some materials, share materials with them when they're campaigning and then expect them to follow through on it once they're in office. You need to reach out to them. And like any good decision maker, they should be responsive to their constituents' concerns and demands. And so if we are fortunate enough to see a lot of the great candidates that Stephen just mentioned find their way to Harrisburg next January, it will just involve continued outreach and ensuring that concerns are lifted up and solutions are offered to these politicians who, by their very nature, should be responsive to the demands of the people that they serve, which speaks to One of the reasons why outside of traditional environmental, climate, energy issues that's driving Clean Air Action Fund and our decisions this cycle is just the nature of good governance. There is a profoundly anti-democratic streak, small d democratic streak, that is disturbingly becoming more prominent on the other side of the aisle. And so I think it's important to remember that part of American government part of Pennsylvania government is having voters choose their elected officials, not the other way around, and that the rules of our electoral system aren't changed by the party in power once they seize power so that they remain in power. A lot of making sure that candidates are accountable to their promises once they're in office is just continuing to reach out and make sure that issues you're facing, issues your community is facing, issues that you see across the state are front and center for them. And part of the work of Clean Air Action Fund is holding elected officials accountable once they are in office, not just getting them into office. Thank you, Robert. That was really well said. I want to plug that Clean Air Action Fund has actions that citizens can take on their website. And these are the exact things that Robert is talking about when it comes to keeping in touch with your elected officials and to holding them accountable. We have actions that are easily set up that will help you send letters to your elected officials. So definitely check that out on cleanairactionfund.org. 
Let's switch gears for a moment and talk about environmental policy in Pennsylvania right now. I know there are some key policies and bills that will be impacted by the election. Can you speak to these? Yes, there's a great deal at stake in this election at the statewide level. You know, depending on who is in the governor's office starting next January, the next administration could either seek to support, advance, and bolster the State Department of Environmental Protection, provide adequate funding through our annual budget processes, ensure the agency is staffed properly for oversight and enforcement of environmental laws, or they could seek to gut the agency, strip it of its current authority to regulate carbon pollution, for example, the leading cause of climate change. There has been a bill that has circulated not just this session, but last session that would seek to do that introduced by Republican majorities in the state house and Senate to strip DEP of its power to do anything whatsoever regarding carbon pollution. A radical step backward, not something that we've seen in in other states. That's on the ballot, depending on who wins on November 8th and, and who's in office in January. But there's also proactive policies that we could see, not just at an executive agency level, where you see the state DEP with a supportive administration and an administration that accepts and is willing to act on our climate goals and priorities, not just agency regulations to try and curb climate pollution from our power sector, from transportation sources, from our industrial sector, but you could also see an administration that is willing to work with our state legislature to try and advance long-stalled priorities, like, for example, community solar. Now, community solar, that's basically a solar array that is located in an area and the benefits of that project can flow to multiple customers, individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and community solar customers can purchase or lease a portion of the solar panels in an array and receive a bill credit on their electric bill for the electricity that's generated by that community solar system. It's something that's similar to individuals' households that have rooftop panels installed, but it makes solar energy, clean, renewable solar energy, available as an affordable option to those who maybe don't own their homes, their renters, or they don't have sufficient roof conditions to support a rooftop solar system. There, there can be a million reasons for that. Shading, sizier roof, agier house, financial factors. There's lots of other factors, but community solar has been a piece of legislation that's been introduced in Harrisburg for the last several sessions, seemingly has had bipartisan support, but because of leadership in both chambers has failed to advance. And that's something that, depending on how how the process plays out on November 8th, that's something that could see some real forward momentum and progress starting in 2023. And again, a lot of it will depend on whether you have the head of the executive branch here in Pennsylvania willing to push for projects like that versus a future governor who thinks that the economy of Pennsylvania revolves solely around oil and gas development, oil and gas extraction, processing, transportation, storage. The new fad is shipping overseas exporting our gas, which is causing prices to rise at home. We're about to head into a winter in which 
more than half of Pennsylvania homes are heated by fracked gas, by methane gas. And those prices are not a result of a lack of energy production at home. They're a result of a volatile global fossil fuel marketplace. So those are some of the issues that are at stake. But just at a fundamental level, it's about whether to try and continue to move the ball forward and make advancements or whether you know, there's disappointment with our state DEP now, but whether we see that agency completely stripped down to the bone and have its ability to do much of anything in the way of climate and environmental protections gutted. Yeah, that is an incredibly helpful summary, Robert. I, I think it's really important to be able to provide that information to people because it can be really difficult to understand what the environmental stakes are in some of these elections especially because a lot of the issues are pretty technical and can be hard to understand. But the way that you laid it out there just made it really accessible. And I feel like it's important for our listeners to hear that and to understand exactly what the stakes are and why it's so important for them to get out and vote this November. I agree, Stephen. And I want to make another plug for listeners to visit cleaneractionfund.org because right on the front page are actions you can take. And one of the actions that you can take is to support community solar, like Robert explained. And state policymakers in general, from the governor's office down through representatives in the House, PA senators, they all need to do their due diligence. Pennsylvania just like any other state, we have limited economic development resources. And we've seen over the past decade plus, those resources be funneled to oil and gas projects, to fossil fuel projects, largely. And ideally, you use those limited resources to try and jumpstart job generating businesses that have real staying power. As the world transitions to a decarbonizing agenda, renewable energy sources are going to have real staying power. They are cost-effective, affordable resources that, that can compete in the marketplace on a level footing, even with all of the entrenched subsidies for fossil fuel resources in our state. And if you waste state resources on weak projects that are going to have limited staying power and that are going to require perpetual life support, new tax credits, new state subsidies going forward, it is a misguided and poor use of those resources. The next administration should be one that prioritizes accurate data on our greenhouse gas emissions from all sources, a comprehensive assessment of the costs of investments in different energy resources, and then that has a, a realistic analysis of just the long-term potential of some of these projects. A lot of the time, the, the dynamic is falsely framed as the environment versus jobs. You could sink a ton of state resources in Pennsylvania into fossil fuel projects that have limited returns on job creation. And so the next administration will have a governor for at least the next four years, will have this same legislature for the next two years. They can choose to make wise investments or to bury their heads in the sand and keep doing what we've been doing. And a lot of that is going to be driven by, again, the billions of dollars available in federal funds that in large part are going to be available to states on a competitive basis. And so Pennsylvania can choose to maximize those or it can choose to let other states take the lead. 
I'm going to pose this next question to Stephen. Political accountability is part of Clean Air Action Fund's mission. What resources can you direct PA voters to so that they can make an informed decision on November 8th? I know we've talked about a couple endorsements and we've talked about some candidates, but is there more information out there for our listeners? Yeah, and thanks for asking that, Katie. You've mentioned the website a few times, and I think that's an important place to start. I think the first thing to talk about is endorsements. We have endorsements up on the webpage. And as I said before, a lot of these questions can be pretty hard for the average voter to navigate, especially in an election cycle like this one, where you have a lot of new candidates who have never run before. So voters aren't necessarily familiar with them or with their records. So voters have to rely on organizations like ours to look through their campaign platforms and their responses to questionnaires and and get a sense of whether or not they're going to be a strong candidate and a strong legislator on the environment. So please go to our website and check out the endorsements. And then we just give Pennsylvanians a lot of tools that they can use to help hold elected officials accountable. Because like we've said on this podcast, the first step is trying to get these people elected. The second step, the most important one, is holding them accountable once they are elected. And so we have the kind of actions that Katie mentioned where you can reach out to those legislators and try to hold them accountable to their promises on things like community solar. And then we have just their contact information. You can you can look up who your current legislator is, both at the state and federal level. You can reach out to them, and we encourage you just to express your concerns, because that really does make a big difference. Even if it's not part of a prepackaged action that we've created for you, you can always call and just let them know what the most important environmental issues are to you. And then the last thing I want to mention is the Pennsylvania Environmental Scorecard. I brought that up a little bit earlier. We work with a coalition of other environmental organizations to try to score Pennsylvania state legislators on their environmental record. So we choose a bunch of different bills that we think are important on the environment. And then we just rank these legislators on their votes on those important bills. And so each legislator gets a number score from one to 100. And you've got people like Katie Muth, who we've endorsed, who have 100 on the environmental scorecard. And then you've got the opponents of some of the people we've endorsed who, in some cases, have a zero on the environmental scorecard. So it can be very helpful to go and look up what your legislator's score is on the scorecard. And that gives you a sense of whether or not you want to support them or whether you need to bring a new voice to your district to go to Harrisburg and represent you. Thank you, Stephen. Those are fantastic resources. As we wind down, what are both of your final thoughts about the November 8th election? Is there some burning information you want to share with our listeners? Well, obviously, I want to make sure that everybody makes a plan, tells their friends, and goes out and votes, at least by November 8th. In Pennsylvania, we have no-excuse mail-in voting, the last day to request your mail-in ballot is by November 1st. While there's technically no in-person early voting options, you can go to your county election offices, request your mail-in ballot, receive it, fill it out, and return it all in one go. So until November 1st, you can do that as an early voting option. But it's just critical that, as we said towards the beginning here, every single election, is a new opportunity for the residents here in Pennsylvania to collectively determine the direction that we want our state to go in for the next few years. So let's not waste this opportunity. Jumping off what Robert just said, 
I know it can feel exhausting when every election feels like the stakes are incredibly high and it's an existential threat to the future of the planet and democracy, but I hate to be the one to say it, but the stakes of this election are extremely high. Pennsylvania, this election, I think is the most important state in the entire country. We've got a U.S. Senate seat that's open. There's going to be a new governor of Pennsylvania, and the contrast between the two candidates couldn't be greater. We've got a bunch of tightly contested congressional races. We've got new maps in the state legislature and a chance to flip at least one of those chambers for the first time in over 10 years. So at every level of government in Pennsylvania this election cycle, we have enormous stakes and enormous opportunities for people to go out there and make their voice heard. I just encourage folks to try to dig deep and get back out there for one more election cycle and really push and try to make a difference. On that note, I would encourage people to just go and use the resources we've talked about and find a candidate that you can support, find a state legislative candidate, whoever it is, and go out and knock on some doors. I've found in my life that counterintuitively, it can be really invigorating and actually take your mind off of politics to do the work of being involved in a campaign. Where reading and watching the news can be exhausting, actually getting out there and knocking on doors can be invigorating and can somehow lessen the burden that we all feel about the state of our politics. And you can also go out and build community and make friends and feel like you're a part of something. So I'm going to do it. And I really encourage other folks to get out there and knock on some doors for candidates as well. Yeah, that's really well said. It does feel exhausting or it can. I understand that. Everyone has a million things on their plate to worry about. We're still in the middle of a global pandemic. And everything about the 2020 election at the time, and even somehow more so in retrospect, just felt so radical and extreme. But we've seen some of the federal laws and actions that we've talked about on climate during this podcast were a direct result of voter engagement flipping the Senate in 2020. Thank you, Georgia. Uh, but, you know, it all ultimately matters. And you've got people who are bought into fossil fuel interests or who are paid to care about fossil fuel interests who show up every time. So without browbeating, just trying to lay out the stakes of why this matters, why it does seem like every two years you've got people trying to highlight the importance of the elections to come. What is on the ballot, among other issues in Pennsylvania this November, is the future of the state's participation in the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative or Reggie. It was a centerpiece of Governor Wolf's environmental agenda in his second term. It is a remarkably successful bipartisan program that has cut carbon emissions in half since 2009 in Pennsylvania's now 11 neighboring states. And Pennsylvania finalized its regulations to participate in Reggie this spring in April. It is now tied up in court challenges that will likely continue into the next administration. But Reggie is projected to reduce Pennsylvania carbon pollution by as much as 227 million tons by 2030. It puts a price on carbon. It finally makes corporate polluters in Pennsylvania accountable for at least a portion of the pollution that they emit into the air we have all borne the costs of fully throughout history to this point. It's projected to create 
nearly 30,000 jobs, result in billions of dollars in public health benefits in Pennsylvania over the course of this decade, which is consistent with the experiences in, again, our 11 neighboring states since 2009. We know that one candidate has committed to withdrawing Pennsylvania from Reggie on day one. So all of those benefits, again, that have been stalled for now because of court challenges, we know will go away if we don't elect Josh Shapiro, the next governor of Pennsylvania. And I know that Attorney General Shapiro has said he wants to review the experience of Reggie in other states and make sure that it passes his test of taking real action on climate change and creating jobs and ensuring reliable and affordable clean power. So I'm confident that when he reviews the facts about what Reggie can do for Pennsylvania that were demonstrated during over two years of the rulemaking process and that have been demonstrated again by all of our neighboring states for over a decade now, the Shapiro administration will see that Reggie clearly passes his test. So just one among many other things that are on the ballot this November. Robert and Stephen, thank you for coming on our podcast today and for sharing your knowledge of the candidates and races in PA and bringing some clarity to key environmental issues surrounding the November 8th election. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to On Air Policy with Clean Air Action Fund. If you liked or learned anything from this podcast today, please share it with friends and family. For more information on Clean Air Action Fund, please visit our website, cleanairactionfund.org. The website features key voting information and political endorsements. You can also follow us on social media at Clean Air Action on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This podcast was produced and created solely by Clean Air Action Fund. It is not authorized by any political candidate or campaign or any associated committees or agents thereof.